Welcome back to the Bitcoin Lair. Today we have a very special guest, Lawrence Lepard. He is the managing partner at Equity Management Associates, LLC, in Boston, Massachusetts. Lawrence, thanks for coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me on, Joe. It's an honor to be on your show. Most definitely. It's always good to have a, have a fellow Boston guy on the show. Um, why don't you give our viewers an introduction of uh, who you are, essentially give us, give us some background on yourself and also why you founded EMA and uh, you know what the firm is all about, what their investing strategy is. Sure. I'll, I'll, many people know this. So I'll try not to make it too long. I'll give you the brief first. I, so I've, I've always been a professional investor uh, managing money. That's kind of what I trained to do in business school. And I've been doing it since the early 80s. So I've got a lot of experience at it. Started off in the venture capital business and that did, did very well for a bunch of years. So I was really a technology growth and technology investor from the 80s into the mid 2000s. And then I kind of uh, when the when the dot com bubble burst, I kind of retired or semi retired and pivoted into managing money uh, just on a growth at a reasonable price uh, basis. And what really happened, the thing, I guess, that radicalized me was uh, the, the GFC, you know, in 2008 uh, was just an enormous wake up call for me. It was like, oh, my goodness, you know, I've got this capital. I've got these savings that I've built up over years. And, you know, the government could just print this stuff and, and it's not going to we're going to have inflation. And what I've saved isn't going to buy as much. And, you know, I'm in my early 50s, late 40s, early 50s. You know, I got to go back to work and I got to figure out a way to defend my capital from this government, you know, largesse. So uh, I pivoted and I started investing in gold and silver and gold and silver mining companies because at the time, as you know, they, the white paper was written in 08. So it really didn't have any traction. I wasn't even aware of it at the time. Um, you know, the best way to protect yourself from monetary debasement pre-Bitcoin was gold and silver, were gold and silver and gold and silver miners. So I became very expert in picking those companies. I worked with a bunch of guys in the industry. I put some money with them and learned from them. And um, ever since that time, I've, I've stuck with the same theme. Um, you know, I, I actually thought 2008 might lead to kind of the end of fiat and, and that, you know, the bursting of that credit bubble and what they did in terms of the money they printed was going to be fatal to fiat. I was obviously quite wrong about that. <laughs> They got another cycle going and uh, they took rates to zero for a long time and they were able to create a, a larger bubble. You know, it, it, the Fed has been great at creating these bubbles, right? They created the dot-com bubble, then they created the housing bubble, and now they've created the everything bubble, as we all refer to it. So, um, you know, what, what my fund does is I, the fund is designed to protect the people who invest in it from monetary debasement, which I think is as close to a certainty in life as, as anything. Nothing's a certainty. I People have asked me, say, well, what what would make your fund not do well? Well, if the government got really responsible and balanced its budget and cut back and and, you know, um, back, the, you know, had a positive real interest rate and back the money with something sound, that wouldn't be good for what I'm doing. But, um, you know, I say those things and most people kind of laugh like the odds of that aren't very high. Right. So so um, the fund is designed to protect from monetary debasement. And then as I'm sure your listeners and you will be interested in, you know, along the way, I kind of got orange pilled. Right. I, I was vaguely aware of Bitcoin in uh, the 2010, 11 area. But, you know, you had to go to a cafe and use a paper wallet. And I mean, it was it was really primitive. And so that was too early for me. I knew some friends who did it. I didn't do it. Um, I was about to I was filling out the forms for Mount Gox uh, account and they failed. Thank goodness. Or I would have lost some money there. But as you recall, right after Mount Gox, Coinbase came along. And so that's when I bought my first Bitcoin out of Coinbase. And uh didn't really fully understand it, but just every year kind of learn more, bought right into the peak in 2017. I paid 17,000. And of course I bought it before that. I, I bought it all the way up and then it went down. I bought more and I just, I kept it. The more I learned about it, the more comfortable I got, you know, there were, I was always worried about that technology. I mean, guys, my age look at computers and think, Hey, computers are unstable, particularly in the early days of 
the PC. I mean, the IBM, most of you guys probably won't know this, but IBM used to do a thing, the PC used to do a thing called go blue screen. You know, you'd just be working at your computer and suddenly the screen would turn blue and everything you're working on was lost and you had to reboot and start wherever the last set of files were. So, you know, I thought to myself, hey, money based on a computer, eh, how's that going to work? You know, what happens when the computer goes blue screen? And of course, it took me a while to understand what a blockchain was and what hashing was and the way it was cumulatively built and, the, you know, the cryptography that made it secure and the nodes that you know validated it and so on and so forth. So as I as I worked my way through those problems and I got more and more comfortable with the technical issues, you know, that created a, the sound form of money, immutable digital money, I got more and more comfortable and became more and more orange pilled. And I now believe that Bitcoin really is digital gold. And it will ultimately flip gold. But I, unlike a lot of the, you know, the hardcore Bitcoiners, including Sailor, who kind of think it's going to happen tomorrow, um, my view is that you know there's a process in place here, and there's still a role for gold and silver as sound money. I call them analog sound money. I call Bitcoin digital sound money. And um, you know the analog sound money is not going to go up as fast as Bitcoin, but it doesn't have as big a drawdowns either. It's uh, it's more stable. You know the, the largest gold drawdown that I can recall was in the high 20 percent in one year. So. As we all know, Bitcoin's had some very substantial drawdowns as it's getting adopted. So, you know, the fund I manage, I can't have my investors can't have me reporting. I'm down 70 percent for the year, so I can't be 100 percent Bitcoin. But we you know, we have 15 percent Bitcoin, 85 percent silver and gold miners. So uh, so that's kind of what I'm doing. And, and uh, I think this is an important enough. I think the sound money movement is a very important cultural and, and social movement above and beyond just number go up and making money and protecting what you've saved. You know, I think a, a lot of what's broken in the world today is a function of fiat money and unsound money. And I think, you know, you have, you have unsound money, you have unsound ethics, you have, it just creates fraud everywhere, you know, as we've just seen with FTX. And so um, I believe that if we want to fix the world, I mean, I, you know, my byline is fix the money, fix the world. And we've got to We've got to go back to a sound money standard if we want to return society to a more sensible uh, society. So I think that's kind of the best uh, best introduction I could give. It's a fantastic introduction. And we tend to agree um, here at the Bitcoin layer, myself and Nick, we, you know, we tend to feel that these central bank distortions, this ability to essentially, uh, you know, warp price signals at will in order to influence, you know, the the very vague aggregate demand, um, which economists right. love to throw around um, yeah. as the, the main uh, driver for an economy. Um, you know, every distortion that you see is a derivative of that. And so, we, uh, you know, absolutely I agree that a return to sound money is, uh, uh, you know, something that's extremely important. One question I've got for you, um, you're, you're in the monetary metals and you're also in Bitcoin. And so for you, you see the crossover, you see the crossover as monetary debasement insurance. Um, how do you, uh, square away people who are monetary metal investors and, and haven't gotten into Bitcoin yet. How do you liken Bitcoin to monetary metals? And you mentioned that there was uh, sort of a hurdle that you had to go over in understanding Bitcoin. Um, right. Some of your associates that you've worked with, how do you uh, you know go about explaining Bitcoin to them? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great it's a great question. And as, as some people on Twitter said, hey, you get it from both sides because the hardcore Bitcoiners you know criticize you for having this boomer you know this boomer rock and. You know, the hardcore gold guys criticize you for, you know, crypto. And, and frankly, a lot of crypto is bullshit, as we just have seen. I mean, the only crypto that's not bullshit is Bitcoin. But, you know, it's the, the way I try and deal with it, Joe, is I, I start off by explaining that, you know, what is money? And I think, you know, Breedlove's done a great job with this with his series. I mean, 
you know, money is it's a couple things. It can be tangible. Gold is a tangible form of money, but it doesn't need to be. And in fact, we've really moved to a ledger-based society. And even before mankind, you know, had gold as a as as kind of the supreme form of sound money, you know, people were keeping score. I mean, there there are caves with markings on the wall, and people, you know, the people were counting and saying, "All right, I killed three deer. You owe me two, and you know, so on and so forth. So, so money is really just a ledger of who owes who what, right? And 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 you know, historically. You couldn't trust the government to keep an honest ledger because they keep printing more. So you, you went to gold because you couldn't print gold. Right. And, and so pre Bitcoin, that's the world as we knew it uh, with a lot of distortion in the gold price. But that's a different matter. And Bitcoin comes along. And I, to me, I'm sure you agree that the, the, in, the incredible innovation of Bitcoin was the ability to create provable digital scarcity. I mean, before it existed, you didn't have it. And now that it exists, you do have it. It's like. Think before the printing press, you know, you had to write out, you know, manuscripts in the Bible by hand. Once you had the printing press, you could make multiple copies really quickly. It's that kind of it's it's a it's a breakthrough innovation, proven immutable digital scarcity. And so I try to emphasize that to gold holders and say, hey, you know, we've got digital gold. This is it. There are 21 million of them. It's verifiable, period, full stop. Now. In the defense of some of the gold holders, you know, they look around and they see, you know, a lot of the signs around the area. And when I say the area, I mean, not just Bitcoin, but I go to, to crypto, you know, send all kinds of warning signals into the mind of the average gold investor. The average gold investor is conservative, thoughtful, you know, and doesn't believe in bullshit. And so when, you know, when you've got people saying, have fun staying poor and, you know, tweeting every time the new, you know, Bitcoin hit 64,000, Bitcoin hit 65,000. When, you, when you've got people pumping the shit out of something, that sends all kinds of warning signals to gold investors, you know, and and then you've got, you know, 25,000 of these coins and you've got FTX and you've got Luna and you, you know, so, so there are a lot of things in the space that unfortunately gave a lot of gold investors the wrong set of clues and they just looked at those things and said, oh, I know what this is. This is bullshit. It's all just bullshit. And what I try to do and I view my role in this whole revolution is I'm I'm the guy, I'm the gold guy who gets where they're coming from and yet wants to orange pill them and wants to explain to them why they're, they're right. There's a lot of bullshit in the space, but there's a real signal in the immutable code that is Bitcoin. And that if they miss that signal, they're really going to be missing a great optionality opportunity because two things are going on here. I mean, one, as money gets debased and it gets debased more quickly, which I think we're all seeing happen, you know, all, all forms of sound money are going to increase in value relative to fiat. That's happening, will continue to happen. However, in the Bitcoin case, you've also got an adoption curve. You know, there are 8 billion people, there are 21 million coins. You got less than 10% of the people in the world using it. And so there's going to be demand for it as we move in that direction. You know, all more and more gold holders will want to hold Bitcoin. More and more people in the world will want to hold Bitcoin. The third world will want to hold Bitcoin, et cetera, et cetera. So, so the adoption curve really suggests that, you know, the price of Bitcoin is going to go up a lot in the next 10 or 15 years. Just, I mean, multiples of where it is today. And, and so for that reason, you know, I try to convince gold holders that, okay, I get that you're skeptical. I get you're worried about the technology. I was too. But the right answer to how much Bitcoin you own, the only wrong answer is zero. 
In other words, you have to have some allocation in the space. And as you know, as we all know, who've been in the space world, once you get a little bit of an allocation, then you get interested, then you read more, you learn more. Then you start thinking, gee, you know what? My allocation is too light. <laughs> I need more of this. It's better than the other things. And so I try to get people to get off of zero and to read the, to read the white paper and to understand what this thing really is and what it can and is likely to be, and therefore to start buying it. And then, you know, then, then I often encounter two other arguments. And one of them is, okay, it's really, really volatile. Absolutely, no question. You don't buy it when the Meyer multiple is five. You buy it when the Meyer multiple is under, you know, the 200-day moving average. And you dollar cost average it because it is a volatile asset. And so you buy it on a consistent basis, recognizing that if the price goes down, that's a buying opportunity. So the other thing people counter with is, well, the government's going to come and take it away. It's too good to be true. The government will come get it. And I think in that case, I try and counter with, well, yes, they would like to, but I don't think they can. If you've got 12 words, you know, the BIP39 standard is going to ensure that you've always got control of your addresses. And, you know, yeah, I suppose at gunpoint, they could make you tell them your addresses, but you could choose not to. Um, and, you know, it's going to be pretty hard to take away. You know, there are going to be a lot of boating accidents, just like there were in the gold space. So, so you know, that's, that's kind of the sales pitch I use to the gold people. And I ask Bitcoiners to try and be understanding of the gold people because, you know, they've, they've got half the problem right. I mean, they, they understand the debasement issue cold. They're, they're Austrians. They always have been. I mean, from my point of view, I love the fact that Safe came along and wrote his book and that I'm talking to guys in, like yourself in their 20s and 30s who are quoting Austrian economics. Um, you, know, uh, you know, that didn't happen in the 80s and 90s and 2000s. I mean, I was, I was pretty lonely as a gold bug. <laughs> and, and now I've got reinforcements. So it's great. Indeed, Twitter is great that way. You can uh, you can sort of uh, you know curate uh, individuals like that, and you play an important yeah. role, Lawrence, bridging that gap. And I want to I want to expand on one thing that you mentioned in that golden Bitcoiners. They they come from sort of the same ethos, uh, gold right. and, and Bitcoin advocates of you know myself and other individuals like me on on Twitter and people my age. You know, we all are Austrian economics. We've all got a healthy level of skepticism and adversarial thinking, and you know. Th those similarities uh, between gold bugs and, uh, and Bitcoiners hold true. But the difference is that you pointed out, Bitcoin is in the process of monetizing. And so you regularly right. see minus 15% in a day, minus 30% in a day. Absolutely. And so because of that, um, you know, you see those sort of price swings, gold bugs look at that and the alarm bells go up. And that's natural right. because they have right. a healthy level of skepticism, but it's because Bitcoin is in the process of monetizing it has a substantially lower liquidity profile in gold. That's why you see those volatile swings. Exactly right. That's exact. That's the exact explanation. That that, and then you add in all the leverage. I mean, I think I think the thing that you know, you asked somebody, what have you seen in the last few years that have changed your view on this? I mean, the thing that has shocked me, and that I think we've all been awakened to, and Caitlin was always warning me about it, but I didn't fully understand it, was just how leveraged this entire area was, right? I mean, it was just people were borrowing on borrowing on borrowing. I mean, look at look at FTX, look at Luna, look at all these. I mean, it, it was all just paper, you know, and it was kind of the fiat. I mean, the, the crypto space, sadly, took all the worst of the fiat games and let it run wild, you know. And um, and I've always maintained, I'm sure you agree that, you know, you've got to own your Bitcoin without any leverage in cold storage, not on an exchange. I mean, that's it's pretty simple. Um, but sadly, I've seen a lot of people lose sight of that truth. 
and there were stories. I mean, I remember when Plan B came around and said, "Every you know, Bitcoin's going to be at one hundred fifty thousand in the summer." And I know guys who had a couple of coins who levered the shit out of them, and then we had a drawdown, and bang, their coins were gone. You know, and it was it's sad, right? I mean, um, you know, and and I guess I'm helped by the fact that I was buying at seventeen thousand in, in Thanksgiving of twenty seventeen. You know, it went to 10,000 the following year. I doubled down. It went to 3,500 the following year. And I have to say, when I bought it 3,500, I thought, you know, I might be throwing this money away. I, I just don't know. <laughs> you know, this thing has really come down a great bit. But it seems to me like it's a sound idea. And we haven't gone through the block wars and all that stuff yet. It seems to me like it's a sound idea. And hell, if I paid 17 grand for some, I ought to buy, I sure as hell ought to be buying at 3,500. I mean, I know enough about investing to realize that dollar cost averaging, unless I thought it was going to zero, and I didn't. And so I, you know, I doubled down at 3,500 and, and, you know, that's, that's kind of how I feel right now. I mean, 1,700 is a gift or 17,000 is a gift. You know, I mean, you could have paid 68,000 for this thing not that long ago. And I, you know, people say, well, I missed it. No, you didn't. You know, well, okay, well then it's going to die. Well, no, it's been through this before. Go look at the charts and, you know, we, we know that this is the cycle, right? The good thing is, and I think this is important. I saw a study that showed very clearly that the vol as volatile as it is, I think the volatility is going down. I mean, just barely, but but it's trending down. I think that will continue to occur as it gets more and more widely distributed and as more and more institutions come in. I mean, yeah, so. Yeah, so its correlation is strengthening with the S&P 500 actually and the NASDAQ and other sort of, you know, high beta risk on components um, over time. And I think that's just gonna be a function of more money managers and people who have all this capital treating yeah. it that way. Uh, but I think yeah. through time, as it begins to approach the liquidity profile of something like gold and more and more as the central bank becomes the buyer of last resort of uh, government bonds and distressed public assets, uh, and it lowers interest rates once again to well below inflation, then I think people after Bitcoin has this, you know, 10 trillion, 20 trillion liquidity profile, people are going to start viewing it as debasement insurance, as you do. Absolutely. No, it, it's funny. I mean, I saw a good tweet that said, ultimately, in the long run, Bitcoin is like the most risk off thing you can possibly do. I mean, it really, you know, there are only 21 million of them. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's, that's the other thing. It's, it's, you know, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. It's the fiat price that's bouncing around a lot. <laughs> and ultimately, we'll be, we will be on a sat, in my belief, we will be on a sat standard. And, you know, it'll be, what, how many sats is this going to cost me? You know, and we'll work for sats and we'll spend in sats. But obviously we're a long way from that. That, you know, this is, you know, it was 14 years to get to what seems like a tipping, a Gladwell tipping point at about 10% right now, adoption roughly in, in the Western world. And so that suggests it'd be another 14 years till we get to 19%. Could be a bit longer even. I don't Absolutely. know. This is, this is tricky. I mean, you know, I've, I've got a lot of boomer clients and, you know, people are afraid. And, and the, the, the big thing of the past year, obviously, has been get your coins off the exchanges. And I've done that, done that for some time now. But, you know, they're, they're not comfortable with that. I mean, to, to get them to buy a Trezor and to get the 12 words and to wipe it out. And I mean, you know, it's, it's not hard to do. You know that. I know that. Bitcoiners know it. But it's, you know, they want to be able to, they want to have somebody they can call. They want to have some institution that holds the money. They want to have somebody they can rely on. They want to, you know, they're, they're prepared to give away their sovereignty for what they consider to be, you know, um, a fail safe, you know, and um, it, as we all know, it's not a fail safe, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's taking, it, it takes a change. And, but I, but again, I, even on, even with those people, I, I see 
I see the process unfolding. Do you know what I mean? I see them buying a treasure. I see them starting it up. I say, okay, send a tenth of a coin. Wipe it out. Do it again. Wipe it out. Yeah. Okay. You get it? <laughs> if you got the 12 words, you got the coins. You know, go to BitRef. Put your address in. Oh, you can see your coins. They're there. That's a good thing. You know, I mean, it, it's just a, it's just a, you know, I mean, I, I was around when the internet came in and, um, sorry about that. I was around when the internet came in and, uh, you know, that was annoying too. It was a pain in the ass. I mean, I, you, you were probably pretty young when it happened, but the, you know, we had these dial up modems that made all these sounds and, you know, you, you get dropped and, uh, it was, a, you know, it was a pain in the ass and then you get a green screen and it, you know, you didn't even have a browser or anything. It was, it was pretty damn primitive, but you know, it improved. And, uh, and, you know, same thing's happening here. And this reminds me very much of the internet, you know, network effect, et cetera. Absolutely. You know, when, when these technologies, these innovations are in their morning years of life, um, you know, therein lies the friction, right? In the right. case of, uh, you know, the internet, AOL, booting that thing up. Exactly. It was horrible. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, with Bitcoin, obviously, the learning how to take custody, uh, but also with Bitcoin, there, there become that. That's when the aha moment occurs. And you mentioned the word verifiable earlier, and that's Bitcoin's innovation. It's verifiable right. digital ownership. Um, whereas with and you have both paper gold and paper Bitcoin. Absolutely, it's a huge problem. Yeah, triple entry accounting is another word I should have said. I mean, it's it's the introduction of triple entry accounting. You it's know, truly remarkable. It is, and yeah. with with gold, you've seen uh, manipulation of the price, sort of oh, absorbing, yeah. oh, absorbing the buy side with paper gold. Um, Absolutely. And then with Bitcoin, you've you've seen the same thing too. With with FTX, right. it turns out you know their balance sheet leaked. Um, they only had, at least in, in one of their, their, their entities, it could have had separate balance sheets, but they had 1.11 Bitcoin. Right. Um, versus. I think they, weren't they short 66,000 or something like a billion five worth? Yeah, something yeah. to that tune. So they were, you know, they had their customers order book. They were essentially telling their customers that they owned Bitcoin. Meanwhile, they were taking in, uh, you know, that, that capital and then actually just playing around with it, you know, taking out short sure. positions on this and that. And it turns out that they had a net short position of, of several uh, thousand Bitcoin at the end of the day when it all went, when it all went bust. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, and that is a problem. I mean, people say, well, Bitcoin is completely incorruptible. Well, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's better. You can see the chain, you can see all the movements, you know, who's got the real coins and you can verify them by making somebody prove they've got control of an address, but there is paper Bitcoin. It's not nearly as much in size or scope as paper gold. They've had, you know, 50 years to build up the paper gold market is quite sophisticated. Um, a lot of evidence supporting that. But, you know, the Bitcoin area, there has been nearly as much paper, but it's not immune to it. I mean, I think that governmentally, when when we break the system down and reset a new system, which I think is what will, the challenge of this fourth turning in your generation, I think one of the very important laws to be created will be to totally ban financial derivatives. Except, you know, with the exception of um, you know, physically, I mean, a futures market in physical wheat, grain, corn, oil, whatever, where you can actually take delivery of the commodity. That's a necessary thing. I mean, producers and users need that futures market. The problem is when you go beyond that and you start letting people, you know, gamble above and beyond the underlying need related to the commodity, you know, you've basically said, we're going to let this thing be a casino and the people with the biggest balance sheet can win. And the governments always have the biggest balance sheet, so the governments can manipulate all these prices, you know, for their own ends. And that's what they've done. 
And that's how they've managed to have so much inflation without the gold price reflecting it. And why, as Bitcoiners point out, and they're right, gold has failed. Not entirely, because it has gone up 8% a year since 1971. But, but in terms of really capturing the monetary debasement, it's ridiculous. I mean, I've said this before. Gold, using the 70s math, the 60s and 70s math, gold should be at $80,000 an ounce right now. And it's at 1700 That's how much manipulation there's been. It's a lot. <laughs> Indeed. Severely underpriced, severely yeah. underestimating the, the government debt problem. And derivatives right. are a huge issue. I think I was taking a look at the top 25 banks and they have derivatives in, uh, I, th I believe, 25 times excess of the actual assets that they hold. And we're talking JP Morgan, right. all the big all the big hitters. Uh, and and what you should be, there should be physical hedges where you actually take delivery. Um, but that that has burgeoned and grown off into this, you know, this horrible growth where now derivatives uh, you know, are, are, are several hundred trillion, I believe, approaching quadrillion, whereas, you know, it's it's a it's several t orders of magnitude larger than than the amount of assets that we have. Right. And and what what you're alluding to and what I can see coming is if, if some of these things start to blow up and go the wrong way, you know, you're going to have a complete collapse that's going to involve the printing of trillions and trillions of dollars. And then eventually people in the world lose confidence in the ability of the government. I mean, the dollar has value because it's theoretically scarce. I mean, it's not incredibly scarce because they've grown the outstanding dollar balance consistently for you know 100 plus years, but it's theoretically scarce. But once that scarcity disappears, as you know, Gresham's law kicks in and people are going to say, all right, I, I, I prefer to have a form of money that can't be printed. And, you know, the three natural things that come to mind are gold, silver, and Bitcoin. I mean, oil, you know, in a sense, too. But oil is actually a commodity that gets used. So it's hard to it's hard to use a commodity that's used as your source of money because it, it doesn't stay around long enough. But but the point is that, yeah, there's a there's a big pyramid here of these things. And it's hard for those of us who are in the sound money community because we've been warning about this for 15 years. And everyone says, well, you're chicken little. It hasn't happened yet. And they're right. It hasn't happened yet. But, but, you know, it's, it's, it's accelerating. I mean, <laughs> Fed balance sheet used to be 800, you know, now it's 9 trillion, you know, with the next one, it'll probably go to 20 trillion and then it'll go to, you know, I mean, you can kind of see where this is going. I mean, as my pinned Twitter tweet shows that, you know, you can't increase debt, you know, at a rate in excess of the increase in GDP without there eventually being a problem because the GDP is what generates the income to pay the interest on the debt and eventually the debt either has to collapse and be worthless or the GDP has to be massively inflated to catch up with the debt pick one and um, you know we don't I mean I, my bet and my funds bet is that at the end of the day governments you know in their effort to save themselves will go with the print to try to keep the system running versus allowing a complete and total collapse like the 1930s which is what but, they have done several times over. Exactly. I mean, at every turn they've, they've chosen. At every turn. Yeah. And, and every government. I mean, it's, if you look historically, there are very few outright monetary deflationary collapses. There are a few. I mean, the, the 30s was a pretty good one. Um, you know, they actually held the money relatively sound. I mean, they, you know, uh, Roosevelt grabbed the gold and devalued it. But the point is that they at least stayed on a semi-gold standard at the time. Um, and you know, the U.S. chose to take the deflation route. You know, um, Weimar earlier had already hyperinflated and then France and Russia had extremely high inflation. You know, Britain 
kind of did a mix of the two, but more on the deflationary side. It's, you know, it's a mess, but um, what it, what it, what it leaves those of us who are in the investment business doing is trying to figure out the best way to protect oneself from these government policies, which are um, certainly going in the wrong direction. I mean, forgiving student debt was a big one recently. Um, you know, the, the interest on the U.S. debt today, I mean, there are charts on the Internet or Twitter, $750 billion. I mean, that used to be as recently as a few years ago, that was in the 300, I think not long before that, in the 200. So just, just the interest costs of the U.S. debt have gone up almost $500 billion in the last five years or so. I mean, that's, that's a big number, right? I mean, the defense budget's $800 billion. So, and, if, and, and that's part of why we know the Fed has to pivot, right? If they do not change that, interest costs are going to become the whole budget. <laughs> yeah, the Fed wants to hold higher for longer, but what they fail to see, and actually I have it up on my screen, the U.S. Treasury maturity wall is in three years, massive right. maturity wall, and the right. average coupon on the debt that has to get rolled over um, is going on 2.2, 2 2.3%, where it's been 0%. And we right. already have an interest cost that is absolutely skyrocketing. When this debt has to roll over, if the Fed holds higher for longer to that point, the short rates on uh, on treasuries, if they don't fall materially, which they, they are beginning to, it's going to be two and a half, three percent. And that's that's not something the government can finance. Yeah, no, it's right. So so they've really kind of painted themselves into a corner. And it's 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 sad. I mean, it's, I guess this is what happens in democracies, right? You just, you know, you try to make everybody happy and you kind of ignore the, you know, the long term consequences. I mean, it's one of the great evils of Keynesianism. I mean, I think for Keynes to say in the long run, we're all dead. I mean, that's a really nihilistic you know, philosophy. That's like saying, I'm going to screw my kids, you know, just fuck them. I mean, I'm going to live now and eat all the seed corn and, and they'll starve. I mean, you know, in the long run, we're all dead is an evil thought process. It really is. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, we are all are conservators of this earth and, and we're, you know, we're here for a brief period of time. We have to hand it on to our kids and the next set of people. And we're supposed to do the honest thing, which is to pay as we go. But, you know, that's not Keynesianism. Keynesianism is, you know, um, let's have growth at any cost and we'll worry about the consequences later. You know, there actually is a free lunch, which is a lie. There is no free lunch. Um, and for money, you know, money has to be fairly priced to create productivity. I mean, the, the error in Keynesianism is they think they want to have growth at all costs. And, you know, in, in unlimited growth in a fixed uh, resources uh, planet, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. It's, it's, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I mean, the the planet is fixed in its size and resources. Well, we, we don't want unlimited growth. What we want is unlimited productivity growth. We want to be able to get more with less. That's the key, right? And the way you get unlimited productivity growth is you make good investments that drive productivity, higher productivity. And the way you know what those good investments are is you have everything priced properly. And so the price signals, I mean, the reason capitalism works is that the price signals tell everybody this is what I should be doing because I'll be rewarded for doing it. And the problem is when you've got the price signals driven by this elastic currency, you know, you get everything just goes berserk and you get these wide swings. I mean, go look at a chart of lumber. I mean, imagine being in the lumber business in the last six years. I mean, the thing, it's been like a, the, the, these incredible swings of, you know, straight up, straight down, straight up, straight down. How can anybody plan in that kind of environment? And it's all because the money is broken. You know, we've got to fix the money. The money needs to be sound and then we won't all be suffering so much. I mean, you know, 
if I, if you look at the technology that's occurred since I got into the business world, I mean, all the computers, all the, you know, internet, everything that's occurred, we all should be working 30 hour work weeks and having a much higher standard of living than our parents did. And yet, in fact, we're working longer weeks and having a hard time keeping up. And arguably, my parents had a higher standard of living than I did. They could live very well on one income and, and uh, you know, they could save and, and so on and so forth. And, and that's all because of the broken money, you know, that, 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 that we've, you know, and it's, it's, it's incredible that we've done as well as we have, given that the money is broken. Absolutely. And through time with, uh, you know, these technologies that have proliferated, that have been deflationary. I mean, taking a look at what I have in front of me, I have a, a laptop computer that's plugged in, that's uh, projecting out to two 1080p monitors, which wasn't even a resolution 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It wasn't right, even a exactly. And so this should, right, the technology I have in front of me, I have a supercomputer that sits in my pocket. Uh, my standard of living should be orders of magnitude higher than my grandparents, my great grandparents. Exactly. Um, but as a function of the Fed and the, and the United States government choosing, uh, and you know, as a, as a function of Keynesianism, and perhaps the the four year election cycle, which does incentivize growth, 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 growth at all costs, even if it means a, a marginally lower standard of living. Uh, as a result of that, living standards have fallen. Um, so so let's uh, let's jump off of that, and uh, we'll, we'll let's let's move into uh, what the Fed is preparing to do. So we've talked about how at every single turn, the Fed has decided, okay, so you have two, you have two choices, right? You can either be austere, right? And, you know, uh, actually you, you have, you know, a decade of, of growth to productivity to come up and meet the debt problems. So you can actually pay interest on that debt or you choose to monetize it. And through time, the Fed has chosen to monetize not only government debt, but also distressed public assets like we saw in 2008 yep. <laughs> and every single time. So, so what the Fed has done is they've created uh, bank reserves used to be such a minute aspect of the financial system, right? But now they represent three some odd trillion dollars worth of yes. assets on, on uh, bank balance sheets. We don't even know what happens when these things go you know, the way of the dodo. We don't know what happens when these things get off uh, banks' balance sheets. But now we're, we're removing them from banks' balance sheets more aggressively than we ever have before. As we're doing that and sucking liquidity from the system, at the same time that uh, in two hours from now, we're about to see the FOMC deliver yet another uh, rate hike, this time uh, 50 basis points, um, this year has seen extremely, extremely aggressive liquidity contraction. So yeah. moving into 2023, what do you think the economy and the market looks like what do you think growth looks like? You know, what's your outlook moving into 2023 as this much higher cost of capital gets digested by businesses and individuals? Yeah, so I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I'll just give you my best, you know, my spitball guesses, right? And that's really all they are. Um, there's a lag between the Fed actions and the problems surfacing, and we're starting to see the problems, the liquidity problems surface. I mean, you know, Blackstone gating their real estate fund and then Starwood following suit and doing the same thing. Uh, England um, and the liquidity-driven investment thing. I mean, the, you know, England decides to cut taxes and increase spending. The pound goes straight into the tank. You know, the, the interest rates go straight up. LDI blows up. And they say, oh no, okay, we're going to back off of that. Um, so you're you're seeing cracks in the system. I mean, El Arian said it really well. I think when he said, you know, the Fed has absolutely slammed on the brakes. The tightest rate hike cycle ever. You know, and they were way too loose before that. And the, the effect of that is that the economy is going through the windshield, you know, <laughs> and, 
And so I kind of liken this. It reminds me a lot of 2007 when my hair was on fire that, you know, the housing market was a bubble. Um, and in the summer of that year, the, the two Bear Stearns uh, funds, um, you know, their, their real estate funds blew up. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the first clue that the problem was going to surface. And But if you recall, that's, say, July of 27, you know, we didn't have the Lehman moment and the complete crisis until the fall, say, September, October of 08. And so if you consider that the Fed started hiking in February this year and got very aggressive about it this summer, I mean, I would think that it's possible. I mean, I'm pretty sure that we're going to see something pretty dramatic in 2023 in terms of, you know, both the economy, the money markets, the stock market, the, all of it. I mean, I think something's going to break. Okay. Um, uh, you know, they think they can engineer a soft landing. Perhaps they can. I don't think it's, it's not entirely impossible, but that's what they're trying to talk us into. And I don't think it's likely. I mean, you look at the car sales, you look at the housing sales, um, you know, it just takes time. You look at the higher interest rates. I mean, everybody had a floating rate loan is paying higher on that. You look at savings, how quickly they've gone down. You look at how um, consumer credit has gone up. I mean, people are kind of maintaining their lifestyle by borrowing. You can do that for a while. But, you know, credit card interest rates now, I, I, I don't I never carry a balance. So I don't know. But I, I hear that they're like in the 20s, you know, that, that it's hard to get a credit card with a re revolving line that's less than 20%. I got to tell you, that's that's debt slavery. That's uh, that's like the mob, you know, usury. So um, I think people are going to be getting squeezed. I think the economy is going to be feeling it. And to me, it's only a matter of time before the Fed, and, and we already saw this in the last meeting minutes, you could see it, you alluded to it pre the show, you know, they're starting to have debates in there like, hang on a second, you know, we're, we're going to kill this economy if we continue this. And so, so to me, you know, the, the market's already starting to price in a pivot. And that's why actually, you know, I think Bitcoin has bounced up a bit off its lows and gold and silver, the charts are starting to look very good. I think it's because the, the sound money market, or sound money assets, can smell in advance what the Fed is going to be forced by the markets to do next year. And, and whether it's a soft pivot or a hard pivot, who knows? I don't know if something really breaks. I could certainly see something breaking though. I mean, the stock market actually to me is pretty dangerous. Um, you know, we're only down about 20%. And, you know, I think there's a lot of hopium going on. People say, well, you know, there's still the consensus estimates for S&P 500 earnings next year are still like up 7%. I'm like, really? I mean, how, how is that? I mean, I, you know, I, I don't see, I mean, I, I think, and, and, they're, and they're pricing off a pretty high multiple of that. So higher interest rates means you should have multiple contraction by definition, because you can now get 4% in a one-year treasury. And, and then you take, the, you take the earnings number down because, you know, you've had wage inflation. That's the other thing that's going on. I mean, wage inflation is kind of locked in at 6%. The airline pilots just got a lot more than that. So, you know, I don't think inflation is coming down, but I don't think it's coming down as fast as the Fed would like. But I think that I think that what's going to happen is just like Powell said, well, inflation's transitory and he was wrong. And then he said, well, we're going to raise rates until we get inflation down to 2%. And that's our primary focus. I think that's his primary focus until Congress, the president, the, the country is squawking that, hey, you're killing business and everybody's losing their job, you know, and, and then they're going to say, well, you know, maybe we need a slightly higher target. And we project inflation is going to continue to come down so we can soften up again. And then, you know, then we're going to be the monetary metals and Bitcoin are going to take off like scalded dogs because, uh, you know, everyone's going to realize. I mean, what, what needs to happen here, Joe, in my opinion, for our stuff to really work well is everybody's got to realize how trapped the government is 
and how all roads point to more monetary creation. And, and they do. And the only issue is at, at, at what time frame and what time scale, right? We don't know that with certainty, but we know that that's where all roads point. I mean, I think the notion that he's going to literally drive us into the depression, uh, I don't buy it. I mean, I think he's going to, you know, I think today he might talk tough and I think that might take away yesterday's rally in the stock market. But, um, you know, the, the notion that, I mean, they're political animals. And when when the country is screaming about, you know, the potential depression, recession, job losses, et cetera, versus screaming about inflation. I mean, gasoline prices have been relatively calm here for a while. Um, you know, they'll they'll pivot and, and, and print more money. And on that next pivot, you know, gold will go through 2,000, silver will go through 30, Bitcoin will go through 25,000, and, and we'll be off to the monetary races again. And the economy will hang, hold together as a result of that, but we'll have, we will have inflation. I mean, gold eventually, or oil eventually is going to go back into the 150 range, and, you know, gasoline prices are going to start going up, and, you know, then inflation will become the, the issue again. And, you know, they're, they're trapped. I mean, the problem is they're really trapped. That's the bottom line. And... But it's very difficult to know how they're going to steer this car. I mean, they, you know, they they stayed way too loose for way too long post COVID, and then of course they pivoted. You know, then they went incredibly hard. You know, now we're headed to complete depression if they continue this policy. And I you think know, Peter Saint Onge put it best. He tweeted yesterday: the Fed yeah. slams on the gas, and they slam on the brakes, then they slam right. on the gas again. That's right. I mean, and 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 that what this all shows you is just the stupidity of central planning and of trying to set a price through government dictate, dictate. I mean, you know, the interest rate ought to be the free market price that balances the supply of savings with the demand for investment, you know, returns. That's what the interest rate ought to be in classical economics. We are so far away from that. And the system is so broken and out of control and and the, the maybe and maybe they can steer us back to that. I hope they can. I mean, I don't want to see the economy of the country fall apart, but but I you know I'm skeptical that they can steer steer us back to that. And and to be honest with you, the, the seeds of all these problems right now, and we haven't talked about this, they were really sown. The the great crime here. I mean, COVID was a horrible thing, obviously, but the the great crime here really was 29 to 2015. Bernanke held interest rates at zero zero interest rate policy okay for six years right that's what did this that's what created the the monetary excesses and the and the bubble and the wildness that we're now suffering through and i mean it was just it was a crime it was an absolute crime i mean zero percent interest rate money it means the money is worthless it's a tautology i mean if you can't earn any interest on your money your money has no value which is kind of true the money does have no value so so that, that's what that's what set all this up. And the problem is everyone's trying to think, well, how do we get here? What do we do wrong? How do we fix it? And it's kind of like, sorry, there's no easy fix. You know, the, we, we, we broke it a long time ago. We you know, you made these choices to, to print all this money. You know, the only way out is to is to default or to inflate or, you know, or to start over again with a sound money system, which is kind of what, you know, Bitcoiners and gold people are rooting for that, that the thing unwinds and then we start afresh. And you know, that's all part of the fourth turning and that's part of, you know, your generation. It's going to be a very difficult, traumatic process, but that's part of why I'm fighting the fight in this area, because I think if we get through this, I can see a world that's much better on the other side if we don't get into a big war. I mean, uh, you know, all the people are still alive, all the technology is still there, all the resources are there. 
what we got going on is we've got a very broken system that does not work correctly and it's making us all poorer. And so what we need to do is we need to redesign a very fixed system, which would start with sound money. And the unfortunate thing is that, you know, there aren't 5% of the people in this country that understand that that's the issue. You know, they're all fighting over something else. Because all they know. clamor for from their politicians is, I'd like you to spend here. No, I'd like you to spend here. Spend right. on war. Or, no, spend on you know, or, you're, or you're blue and that's bad, or you're red and that's bad. And I mean, ultimately, it's, where, does the, the, where does the money come from? It, it's created out of thin air. It's created out of thin air. And that's, that's the fundamental problem. And, but having said that, if we have the kind of inflation and or monetary collapse that we're talking about, guess what? You know, 100% of the country is going to understand what the issue is, you know? right? I mean, it's, and, and nobody's wishing for the pain that that would create. But, you know, ironically, that pain is what is probably necessary to create, you know, the fix that when we get to the other side, we'll be much better, right? I mean, that's kind of what I'm, that's what I'm in this for. You know, right. I don't want to see, yeah. I don't want to see anything bad happen to anybody, but I do want to see the system get fixed, right? Me as well. We haven't seen what pain looks like the way you say it, because for as long as I've been cognizant, since just before 2008, uh, the Fed has just immediately responded by becoming, Absolutely. buying distressed assets in 2019. It was the day of, or two days after when there was yep. a cash shortage in the money market, yep. Fed decide, instead of allowing the bad parts of yeah. money markets, risk markets, what have you, wither away and, and the economy to pay the consequences, yeah. the Fed has chosen to buy it. And because they've chosen yeah, to buy it, now we're stuck. It's so ironic. I mean, I feel like a fossil because anybody who hasn't been in the markets for a while, I mean, if, if you got into the stock market after 2008, all you've known is a bull market. That's all you've known. Buy the dip. And I saw a guy on Twitter this morning. He was talking about how he's going to sell his house to buy Tesla. I was kind of like, dude, that's a very bad idea. They've still got a price <laughs> to earnings ratio of like 30 or 40. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Irrespective of the merits. I mean, it just, but, but I, you know, but that's how deeply ingrained the whole buy the dip mentality is because it's worked so well and it's worked well because in a 0% interest rate inflated, you know, economy, um, you know, it was a one-way trade, but, you know, nature has a way of correcting one-way trades. Eventually it takes some time, you know, obviously I lost some money shorting Tesla at very points various points in time, but. You know, the, the the markets are in the process of correcting, will continue to correct. I don't think there's any doubt that the everything bubble has burst. And um, typically when a bubble bursts, you kind of go back to the base layer of where it started. And, you know, the stock market down 15%, that's not going back to the base layer where it started. I mean, this, this market was incredible. I mean, it did multiples from 2009 to today. So we got a long way to go in the process of resetting the, you know, the values of the marketplace. And, um, and in turn, I think as people come to realize that the government response will be printing money, we've also got a long way to go in terms of, you know, I, I often quote the facts about the, the math on this whole thing and just big picture. There's 450 trillion of financial assets in the world. This is stocks, bonds, and cash, yeah, 450 trillion. There's about five billion a tr trillion of tradable gold. There's a you know a, maybe a trillion of tradable gold stocks, and there's maybe three hundred and fifty billion of Bitcoin right now. So let's call it six and a half trillion of sound you know alternatives. 
So 450 trillion is, is denominated in fiat stuff. And six and a half trillion is what I would call stuff you can't print. So what happens when the 450 realizes, oh my God, these guys can never stop printing. Every year I lose money relative to the stuff that can't be printed. Some of it, even if it's only five or 10%, is gonna say, I need to go from where I am over to there. And so if it were 10% of 450, that'd be 45 trillion trace chasing six, you know? And, and, and in Bitcoin's case, I mean, Bitcoin will go up more than gold because it's only 350 billion today. So, I mean, how do these things not just have, you know, they're not just multiples higher than they are today. I mean, it's impossible. It's just mathematical. I mean, the, you know, people say to me, well, Larry, what would change your thesis on Bitcoin? What, you know, I said, okay, it's a great question. If we saw less adoption, less use cases, less people, I mean, if people lost interest in Bitcoin, I would be concerned, but we don't see that. We've got, you know, million addresses with, um, with over one coin hitting new all-time records. Addresses with over 0.1 coins hitting all-time records. Uh, lightning transactions, all-time record. I mean, all, you know, the, the adoption of the third world use cases, you know, incredibly rapid. So, you know, everything points to increased usage of Bitcoin, what I call dogs eating the food, right? And, and you know, and yet there are only 21 million of them. There are 8 billion people. I mean, this is not hard. It's like it's like Foss says, you know, let's keep this shit simple, right? <laughs> this is not hard. Um, and so, you know, and, and okay, fine, you're worried about it. You're worried about the technology. You, you know, you think there's some guys in it who are scummy or promoting, whatever. Fine. You know, how can you have zero? I mean, I've, I've worked on a lot of my friends. Just get something. Just get started. Put 1% in. If you lose 1%, your life's not going to change. If it goes up 10x or 100x, you're going to be glad you had it. Right. And, and that's what I, I sincerely think that's what's going to happen. It's going to go up 10x sometime in the next probably two, three years or four years. And it's going to go up 100x in the next 10 years. So, um, you know, it's pretty straight. It's pretty straightforward from where I sit. It's fantastic. So in positioning yourself for what yeah. is ostensibly going to be just the cycle the Fed cycle continuing, which is choosing to create more dollars and credit as opposed to austerity, you know, which would be a path out of it. Austerity would be a path out of it, but yeah. it'd be a difficult path. And since right. 2013, we've never chosen the difficult path. And so right. our gold, Bitcoin, uh, other monetary metals, mining stocks, commodities, is this where you want to position yourself if you that's, believe that, that? That's my belief, obviously. I and mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's where I put my fund. I mean, Look, everybody has to make their own decisions and everyone's investment profile is different, right? Um, and I, you know, I would not suggest that anybody, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on this stuff pretty much. I mean, I've got, you know, some cash and some houses, but the rest of my investable assets are here. I'm not, I'm not, I, I generally would like to be an investor in the stock market. When the stock market represents good value, growth, you know, earnings, dividends, et cetera, I'm there. I'm totally there. I don't see that right now, except maybe in a few commodities companies. I mean, I'm in, I'm in the stock market basically in gold miners. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like every investor needs to have a piece of the portfolio that hedges against the debasement of the currency because we're at such a vulnerable and risky time with respect to massive debasement of the currency. Yeah, I, I feel that very strongly. And when people say to me, what's the minimum? I say the minimum is 10%, absolute minimum. You got to have 10%. I mean, because I have a lot of friends who are wealthy, done well. They got a big bond portfolio. They got a big stock portfolio. You know, how much gold do you have? Zero. How much Bitcoin do you have? Zero. 
I'm kind of like, all right, let me talk to you about that. <laughs> Let's discuss that, <laughs> right? Um, and, and so I try and get them off of, off of zero, you know, be, and I think, I think they'll be well served if they, if they move off of zero. That's fantastic. If the bet is perpetual credit expansion, you want to be positioning yourself in a verifiable asset that's exactly. verifiably scarce rather than stocks, which will stand to benefit that are still obscenely, obscenely, obscenely overpriced. Stocks will be better than bonds, by the way. I mean, the Weimar in, in Weimar, if you own stocks pre Weimar, they hyperinflated. You still own the stocks after it was all over. You actually maintained your purchasing power. I mean, I've, I've looked at the analysis of like Siemens, which was a big industrial concern in Germany, but it went up and down a lot in the period of it. But the point is, a stock represents a claim on a business that can earn money in the future. And what we're talking about is a monetary failure and a reset of the money. And so if you own a claim on a stock and you come to the other side of it and the, you know, the, the company will re they'll operate with the new money. Right. And so their value add is their ability to produce something. And so if you own a piece of that, that will protect you, but you know, it, it'll be extremely volatile during the whole period of transition. Um, and, and, you know, right now, stocks, in my opinion, have not fully corrected the bubble excess that got created from 2009 to 2021. I mean, they, they went a long, long way, 15% down from the top. We're just getting started, in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, that feels like the perfect spot to end it. Uh, Lawrence, okay. thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's been Thanks, Joe. It was great to talk to you. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we, we hope to have you on again soon. This is a great conversation. Um, last thing, where can people find you? Oh, sure. So as you know, I'm a loudmouth on Twitter. I, I shit, I shit post 24 seven because I react to things that I see. So that's just at Lawrence Lepard, my name online. And then importantly, um, there's also a lot of free information on my website. You know, I manage a fund, my partner and I, David Foley manage a fund and uh, we write a quarterly letter that's widely read. And then we have also research papers and other things. They're all free and, and uh, you can sign up for an email list. We won't spam you um, at my website, which is Equity Management Associates. The, the uh, URL for that is EMA, Edward Mark Alpha, the number two dot com. And so you can go there and, and, you know, pick up our research and it talks a lot about our philosophy and so forth. So um, we've tried to be pretty transparent about what our fund is doing. To the viewers, I would highly suggest that if you have Twitter, follow Lawrence on Twitter at the handle. It'll be. Uh, up on screen and in the show notes and also sign up for the newsletter. I, I promise they will not spam you EMA2.com. Lawrence, thanks again. Hey, thanks, Joe. Great talking to you.